I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss the bride. I'll be signing autographs after the service. If you, if you saw Dawn's face there, that was because she was thinking in her mind, this is the best kiss I've ever had in my life. Um, <laughs> Song of Solomon, chapter 2. Let's turn there. You know, that, that was so fun to do this week. Um, just kind of gives you an illustration of, you know, when people get married, they don't have that picture in their mind of carrying baggage with them down the aisle. Uh, but it's so true. It is so true. It's, it's true psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually, where we bring baggage into marriage and we take baggage after our, after our wedding day. It's right there with us. And we have to deal with it in our marriages. So I hope you got that picture from that and not just me looking goofy coming down the aisle really fast. Um, so Song of Solomon, chapter 2. A Song of Solomon uh, is, a, is a great book of the Bible, and, it, and it's about two lovers, two uh, in a marriage here that, that is just incredible. And a lot of times we focus on a lot of the, the imagery here, and I'm going to leave that, a lot of that up to you. We're not going to talk a lot about that today and your interpretation of it. Um, but there's one section, one verse that I want to focus in on, on today, and it's this idea of protecting marriage, protecting that relationship, something that we don't uh, do enough of. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse number 15 says this, catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love, for the grapevines are blossoming. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for what you've given us. Thank you so much for our marriages. Lord, I, I thank you for our, our spouse. Lord, I pray that you would just be with us in this service. Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified, that you'd be honored, that you'd be lifted up. And Lord, I pray that you would help some people in here today, help all of us, Lord, to get rid of some baggage that we are carrying around with us that is wrecking our vineyard of love, wrecking our marriages. We thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. A um, couple months ago, me and Tim were talking, and we were talking about this upcoming series, and, and he wanted me to kind of kick it off, kind of being the young adult pastor, youth and young adult pastor, and looking at coming into marriage as, as a young adult and what to expect and things like that. And that's kind of what the task I'm going to attack today, but the truth is, is this idea of baggage not only affects those coming into marriage as young adults, but it also affects those that are already married, and we know that. It affects those that, are, that have been divorced and been through that, that, that tragedy in their life, but also affects those that will never get married. Because the truth is, is, is you have to deal with married people. You have to live life with your parents. You have to live life with your friends that are married, and you hear about the baggage. You see what baggage does to marriages. You see the issues. So this is kind of for everybody. This is not just for young adults. So I want to bring us kind of all, all together in this. And, uh, but we need to clarify some things first. We need to talk about marriage. 
We're going to start breaking it down here. Marriage. What is marriage for? If you look online, and I googled this. It's always a good thing to Google things. You never know what you're going to get. But I googled, what is marriage for? And I started looking at some of the comments and some of the things that people were posting. And I came across a comment that I want to share with you today. It's very American, very cultural. It is what America believes uh, for the most part. It is this. Marriage is and should ultimately, ultimately be a symbol of one's love for another person. A token that you want to be with that person for the rest of your life. Sounds pretty good. Then there's a comment that says, However, nobody knows how they might feel in the future or how their feelings for another may change over time. Signing yourself to a contract seems an absurd way to say I love you and a very expensive way to break up. Maybe a better system would be to have marriage as a type of membership club where you sign up for a certain period of time and then have to renew your membership when it expires if you so choose. Isn't that the America that we live in? This idea of, of marriage should be this total, just you can get in, you can get out, you can do whatever you want. But the question I have for you today, is marriage to make you and keep you happy or is it to make you holy? That's the question. Is it to make you and keep you happy or is it to make you holy? If you go into marriage thinking that it is designed to make you happy and to keep you happy, then you are fully mistaken and you're doomed. But if you go into marriage with the realization that God has designed marriage to make you more like him, then you're on the right track. That's what marriage is for. And, and as I was looking through all those comments on, on Google, and there was not one comment that even went that way. All of them were talking about love. All of them were talking about feelings. All of them, many of them were talking about a good atmosphere for children to grow up in. And the truth is, is all those are built on the wrong foundation. Every single one of them. And the idea of, if you can get into marriage and realize that, that God has designed marriage to make you more like Him, then you're exactly where you need to be spiritually. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. This is the, it, whenever you're doing a marriage series, a marriage sermon, you've always got to go to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, but I want you to notice something. Other than the theme of relationship, other than the theme of marriage, I want somebody to tell me what the actual theme is here. Let's read these verses. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 21. The Bible says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his, uh, of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, 
and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is the great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. There's 14 variations of one thing in this passage. Does anybody know what the actual theme of this passage is? It's Christ. Christ. There's pronouns, there's the word Christ, there's the name Christ, there's Lord, there's God's word. And there's 14 variations of the name Christ in this passage. Everything points to Christ. Gary Thomas, he wrote Sacred Marriage. He said, as long as, as, long as a couple is married, they continue to display, however imperfectly, the ongoing commitment between Christ and the church. Our marriages are a picture of what Christ is to the church. And I love the words there. He says, however imperfectly. See, Christ is the perfect member of this marriage, and we are the imperfect member. We are the ones that are, that are messed up. We are the ones that, that tend to slip away in love. God never leaves. There's a song that we sang at, at camp that says, His love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. His love will never run out on us. And that is such a picture of what Christ is to us. And our marriages are supposed to be to each other. That no matter what happens, no matter what takes place in your marriage, that you'll never give up. You'll always be there. That's what marriage is supposed to be. And we all know that we live in a broken system. We live in a broken world. So we have to go to the next thing, and that's we need to talk about commitment. Commitment. Uh, we live in a, in a nation of quitters. If you don't like something, you just quit it, you go on to something else. If, if you don't like your job, you just quit, go to another job. If you don't like your marriage, you just quit, you go to another marriage. If you don't like your sport, you just quit, you go to another sport. You just do whatever. We live in a nation of quitters. And I, I preach this to the teens, and nearly every time I talk about dating, I, I talk about this, this aspect of the whole culture has changed over the last 100 years. And we've gone to a, a, a dating culture, a dating breakup culture. If you watch the Disney Channel or Nickelodeon or anything, you see that over and over again. What it is is relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship, going from the next to the next to the next. And what I call that, I like to call this, this is the reason I'm a proponent of not dating in high school, and I know the teens hate me for saying this, but the truth is, is this, what I've seen over and over again is this, is dating in high school, multiple people over and over again, is you, all it is is a practice for divorce. It's a practice for divorce. Because what you get used to is when it gets hard, you leave. When it gets difficult, oh, pfft. I'll just go to another one. And what, cause, what the, the end up cause is, is when you get married, the exact same thing happens. The going gets tough, you just get out. So we live in a culture of quitters. We live in a culture of practicing for divorce. Let's look at the, the typical marriage vows. Now, all of, how many of you are married in here? Raise your hand if you're married. Okay. You've said something like this. And the thing is, um, is when I got married, I, uh, 
I was 21 years old, didn't really know what I was saying, and I said this, something like this. I, Matt, take you, Dawn, to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, that's good, for worse, it's not so good, uh, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. If you're married in here or have been married, you said something of that variation at your wedding ceremony. And the truth is, so many times we go through them. As a 21-year-old, I didn't know really what I was even saying. I didn't even know what I was promising. I didn't even know how far death was. I didn't know how bad bad could be. I didn't know how, you know, I remember one night we were married, and I was not a good husband. Dawn was sick. This is not too long after we were married. And she got sick from CC's Pizza. And to this day, she will not eat CC's Pizza. I'm like, it's $4.99 for the buffet. We're going to CC's. She's like, I will not go there. Um, I'll be like, yes, you, no, I'm just kidding. And she got sick from CC's Pizza in the middle of the night. And she was up all night uh, being acquainted with the commode. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember waking up and I heard her. And I was like, can you be a little quieter? Uh, yeah, that was not a good day, night. Um, <laughs> yeah, the whole sickness and the health thing, I love the health. You know, that's good stuff. It's, it's good. But when it's sickness, and that's just a minor sickness, I couldn't imagine if something major happened. Um, Mike Mason said this, How can anyone ever bring himself to affirm that he will care for another person 20 years from now? It's one thing to promise your girlfriend that you'll pick her up at 8 o'clock. It is quite another to give her your pledge that you will love her the rest of your life. The marriage vows are simple ones, but remarkable for the extremity of their loftiness. And I, me and Tim talked about this the other day, and I, we're so much alike in so many areas. Um, we were that guy. I may pick you up at 8 o'clock. I don't know. That promise was shaky at that time. And then I'm sitting up on an altar at 21 years old saying, I will, I will keep you the rest of my life. Yes, I promise this to you. And I can't even keep a promise like picking you up at the right time. It's just incredible. For it, I saw a statistic the other day. For every two new marriages that take place in the U.S., there's one divorce. Um, and I started thinking about that. And, of course, my life is affected by divorce in, in drastic ways, and so is my wife. We were, we were talking about it last night. And I, I've told you before, I think, when I was interviewing for the job, that between my parents and her parents, uh, a good, solid family would have one marriage on each side. So that's two marriages, right? Well, my family has 12. Okay, there's 12 marriages there. And I started thinking up. I said, the current Step parents included, there are 16 marriages there. 16. Uh, one generation removed from us is a lot of baggage, a whole lot of baggage. And it's, and it's so incredible to see. And, you know, I hate it for my kids because when you t start talking about going seeing grandparents, you're talking about Virginia, North Carolina, Florida, and Mississippi. That's how scattered out they are. They have no real life with their grandparents because of what divorce has done. Um, just, I just want to see a poll in here. 
those of you that are affected by divorce by way of yourself, uh, family members, or a close friend that you have that is divorced, would you just raise your hand? I want to see the, the number. Okay, a ton, by far the majority. Divorce affects all of us. It affects all of us. But the question I had about commitment is, what makes commitment such a hard thing to commit to? What makes commitment such a hard thing to commit to? And that's where we get down to the baggage aspect. Um, and we're going to share, the reason we have this little setting up here on the stage is, is because we're gonna, me and Dawn are going to share some things here in, a sec, here in a few minutes about some things. But I, I want to be completely honest with you. I want to be completely transparent with you because the truth is, is we're all in the same boat on this thing. And the more we can help each other, the better. What is baggage? Baggage is that stuff, sinful or good, that weighs you down and gets in the way of the plan God has for you in marriage. It's that stuff, good or bad, that weighs you down and gets in the way of what God has planned for you in marriage. And trust me on this, the devil, society, and yourself will make sure that there's more than enough baggage to get in the way of God's plan for you. Uh, teens, college, young adults, you know, so many times when we enter into relationships, we think, oh, th everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be perfect. It's, it's my knight in shining armor. Dawn thought that about me too. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the, the truth is, is, is we had high expectations, and they were drastically dashed almost immediately, and we'll talk about that a little bit. So let's talk about baggage. Number one, baggage comes with the territory. There's not a person in here all the way across and all the way up here that does not have baggage. Every single person in here is carrying baggage with them. And kind of that picture up on the screen, um, even though that wasn't a true wedding, that's exactly what we looked like on our wedding day. It's exactly what was taking place. We were carrying bags out with us emotionally and spiritually and from the past that we were bringing right into marriage. Some baggage is hereditary. For instance, uh, your parents' example of conflict resolution. Some of your parents loved conflict. Okay, These are the parents that just would blow up at each other, blow up at, at whoever. This was my kind of parents. Uh, my parents, you know, a lot of times I'd walk into the house and there'd be quite a few plates broken. There'd be a hole in the wall. Uh, there would be yelling and screaming and cussing. And that was the way my parents dealt with conflict. Some parents uh, are conflict avoiders. At all costs, we will not have any conflict. At all costs, we'll sweep, sweep everything under the rug. And it will appear perfect. Uh, and then there are some that have family meetings. A lot. Every, something comes up, oh, we got to have a family meeting. Let's gather in the living room and talk about this. Uh, we'll discuss what's going on in, in our lives. Lot, there was no parent, there's no family meetings in my life. Uh, the meetings usually just took place over, you know, a screaming session. In the, in the, it happened to be in the kitchen or it happened to be in the living room or whatever. And that's how we dealt with it. Number two there, some baggage is personal. Uh, some is hereditary. Did you get from your parents and from your past history? Some is personal where you bring it on yourself. Uh, past relationships, addictions, habits, expectations. 
some people have this fairy tale image where, you know, as they're walking down the aisle and they're in a beautiful white dress and they're looking up at, at Prince Charming up on the stage and, and they think in their mind, we're going to have a beautiful little house in the meadow, white picket fence, a dog and a cat, a little boy and a little girl, and we're going to live happily ever after in La La Land. Uh, and it hardly ever works out that way. And those expectations, even though they're good expectations, what happens when you don't have that? What happens when it doesn't turn out that way? What do you do then? And those expectations, even though good, are baggage that you bring into a marriage and it ends up eating away at the fabric of, of your marriage and your relationship. Another one is some, is easy, some are easily seen before marriage. I put down here, in-laws. That's the one that pops into my head. You see them before marriage. You know how crazy her family is. Do you really want to bring this into to marriage? And yes, I did. Uh, so, but the truth is, is, is in-laws. And the last one, some are only seen after marriage. Uh, there's a lot of baggage that we brought into marriage that, that we had no clue about until after we said, I do. And so after we began to live with each other in matrimony that we started to see who we were. Someone once said, one of the best wedding gifts God gave you was a full-length mirror called your spouse. Had there been a card attached, it would have said this, here's to helping you discover what you're really like. And oh my goodness, um, when we first got married, we were driving down the road one day, and I was such a particular about things, and I, had, I, I used to like Reader's Digest. All they are is magazines. How many of y'all have read Reader's Digest before? Okay. I used to like doing little word puzzles and things like that. And we're sitting in the car driving somewhere on a trip, and Dawn's over there reading a Reader's Digest of mine. And she folds the page down, the corner of the page. And I looked at her, I said, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm folding the page. And I said, nah. And I, I kind of went off. And a lot more than that. And I was like, no, you don't, you don't fold the page down. I was like, now you've ruined it. Now I've got to throw it away. And that's, that was my reaction. I was the only child pretty much growing up. <laughs> you know, they, they kind of get their own way a lot of times. The mirror was put in front of me that day, and I saw who I really am. And the truth is, it was ugly. It was ugly. And I didn't change overnight, and I'm still not fully changed. But the truth is, 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 is God has done some amazing things. Number two, number one was baggage comes with the territory. We all have baggage. Number two, baggage left unchecked uh, will destroy a marriage. If you look in Song of Solomon, there, there's, when, it, when she says this, she says, catch all the foxes, those little foxes. The indication is there, there's foxes there. There's foxes. There's going to be foxes. Catch all the little foxes before they ruin the vineyard of love because if they're not taken care of, they will ruin the vineyard of love. They will destroy a marriage. Friday afternoon, I was studying in my office. We just got done editing the video. Uh, I'd watched it one more time and laughed my head off, falling out of my chair in the floor in my office. And uh, I'm sitting there studying, and my computer goes bloop. 
and that's a Facebook message. And I looked on the Facebook message, and it was my brother, my half-brother. He uh, he's, lives in Florida. And he says, call me. He didn't have my number on his, his work cell. He said, call me. I'm going to get Dad. And I was like, okay. Now, remember, I'm studying on baggage. I'm studying on marriage. And so I call him. I said, what you doing? He said, well, I'm driving. I said, what's going on? And he said, well, Dad is leaving his wife. He's moving down here to Sarasota. And I was like, okay. And this whole situation has, has been brewing over time. And you can kind of see it play out. My dad, they've been married eight years. My dad's been married three times. He's been married almost 50 years, a span of three wives. Uh, and this, uh, my stepmom is a lot younger, and they have two little girls. One's in junior high, one's in high school. Uh, not together, but that's the only dad they've ever known. And my dad is her fourth marriage. So there's just a ton, ton going on there. And so he starts telling me what's going on. And I could not help but think, oh, this is so true. How baggage, no matter, it was doomed from the beginning. Eight years ago when they got married, they got married on, on Kaylin's birthday uh, when she was born, eight years, almost eight years ago. And it was doomed from the beginning. And it was one of those things where you could see the baggage. You could see what was going on in their life. You could see it and feel it. Uh, but everything on the outside was perfect. They served in church. They did all these great things. They taught first grade Sunday school. Um, but at home, it was not that way. At home, it was terrible. And Friday, you know, I was sitting there in the office, and I was like, really? I was like, this is so interesting. And uh, I was sitting there, and I couldn't help but think of the, the youngest one, the youngest girl, her name's Ginger. She calls me uh, yesterday, and she leaves a message because they hadn't seen my dad. I was told not to tell her, my stepmom. Uh, they were, the church was going to tell her and things like that. And so Ginger, the youngest one, calls me and leaves a message on my voicemail. says, have you seen Dad? Have you seen Dad? He, had, he didn't come home from work yesterday and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and she was like, you know, Mom's going to call the police and, you know, do a missing person report and all this kind of stuff. And I knew where he was, uh, but I had to get word from my dad to say something, and I did. But the truth is, we, we were talking about it, and, you know, Ginger was born out of wedlock, you know, years ago, this is before my dad, born out of wedlock, and the only dad that she knows just walked out. And no matter who's right or wrong in this situation, there's still baggage. And Ginger, who will grow up and probably get married one day, will have insecurities about men and think that her husband, the father of her children, will one day run out. Package destroys. And if we don't do something about it, there's marriages sitting right here that will be destroyed because of it. Foxes, some big, some little, as Song of Solomon says, will sneak in. Little things, expectations, selfishness, will sneak in and begin to drive a wedge that separates. You know, even this morning, 
I got up, um, I got up at 5.30 and, and was going to come to the church and pray and, and make sure everything's ready. Well, at 5.37, I get a text. from my mom, it's the other side. And it's a text that she'd sent my stepdad. It was like, you know, I'm done with this, I'm through. We just gotta deal with it. And it's like, both sides the same weekend. And I just couldn't help but think, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so needed. There's so many people that are that are in marriages right now that are just so struggling that they've been carrying this baggage with them so long and now it's, it's ripping apart. But it does not just rip your uh, relationship apart. It rips the kids apart. And it destroys a lot of confidence they have later on. Baggage that comes with the territory. Number two, left unchecked, it will destroy marriage. And number three, it can be overcome. It can be. There are a lot of, uh, a lot of simple steps that we could give you in, in counseling and talking to you that are good. There's a lot of steps you can take to, to make your marriage better uh, for a short time. But the truth is a lot of those simple steps tend to be only superficial they don't get to the root of the issue. And a lot of times that baggage will flare itself up again, even though you've taken these steps. Uh, the truth is there's only one ultimate step that you can take, and that's make Christ the Lord of your baggage. You release that baggage to him. And I'm not telling you that you release it one time and it's gone for good. The truth is, is, is you got to do that every single day. Every single day you give it to him. Every single day you pour it on the altar of who Christ is, and he begins to make that baggage slip away. You can try all day long and set up steps and programs and counseling sessions all day long. But until we get to the point of, of getting down to the root of our, the foundation of our lives, the baggage will come back and it'll tend to destroy. At this time, this is my, my wife's least favorite part because she was so nervous uh, this morning. But she's, we're actually going to... We're going to sit on the couch and, and talk to you just for a few minutes. Thank you. Uh, we, we were talking about this whole session, and, and the whole thing was is we wanted to do something a little, bit, a little bit different. The video was a little bit you know, creative and things like that, and uh, we wanted to do something like this just to kind of to, to talk back and forth. So how are you doing? You doing okay? You look pretty today. Um, sorry about the Reader's Digest thing, too. Uh, so let, let's talk for a second. What is, uh, what's some of the baggage that you brought into marriage with you? Um, probably the two that I can think of that was um, an everyday occurrence uh, or had something to do with everyday was um, insecurities and... Um, people-pleasing um, attitude that I had, the, the whole, um, I would just want to make people happy. And um, in that case, um, I, growing up, 
um, never really learned how to forgive people. Um, I just pretended like it didn't happen. Um, I hated confrontation, so I just acted like if somebody hurt me, I swept it under the rug um, and act like it never happened. I could shut the door, um, you know, to my bedroom and go in my own little place. Um, or I avoided people for a period of time, things like that. Um, if you are married, you, you know you can't do that when you're married. Um, so that became um, an issue. And then the, the insecurity of, of who I was, um, I didn't find who I was in Christ um, the way that I needed to before, um, before marriage. And so I would say those are the two biggest things um, that I brought. Now, there's lots of, lots of other things, <laughs> but um, those are probably the two biggest things that created issues, and um, the other baggage played into those at times. All right, so what do, you, what do you think my baggage was? And I'm setting her up. And like, we've been married 10 years. Hopefully this is okay. No. Of course, you know, kind of the ones that played off of yours in a very volatile way. What do you think? Um, the whole conflict resolution issue, um, which I mentioned, was yeah. mine. I swept it under the rug. I didn't want to argue. I didn't want to. I just wanted to pretend like it didn't exist. Where yours was the opposite, because that's what you knew how to resolve conflict was yeah. that. Yeah, and ours, it kind of worked uh, together in a bad way. It's like gasoline and, and a match, because she would stay quiet during a conflict and I would get louder during a conflict and she would stay even more quiet because of me getting loud and I would want to pick the fight. I'd want, I'd want her to come back at me because that's how my parents did it. They would go at each other instead of one staying quiet and one uh, being the aggressor. Uh, I was the aggressor. I, the, talk about the, at the three month mark of our marriage. Now three months into our marriage, where were we at? Um. I really didn't think we were going to make it. Yeah, three three months. We were we were living in a little bitty house. Um, I was working in a church, and we were in the living room. And I, I'll never forget it because it was one of those times where, where I just went off the handle. And I'm talking about went off the handle where I would I was throwing stuff around, breaking stuff, yelling and screaming, and and she was crying. But that's the reaction that I wanted from her. I wanted some reaction, and I got it. And I pushed until I got it. And the reaction was, these words come out of her mouth, I'm done. I'm going to kill myself. And <laughs> it was kind of a wake-up call because this is what would happen um, every time that I blew up because this is what I saw my dad do. This is what I saw my mom do. They would apologize. I'm sorry. I'll do better. And, and I would. Um, but did it ever? It didn't go away. Yeah, it, and it just kept on coming back. And I would apologize again. I would try harder. And then it would come back again. And that baggage would reintroduce itself. And one day I, I got on my knees and, and began to pray. And I was like, God, I can't keep doing this. And I wrote this down on the sheet. It said, trying ultimately failed me every time. My baggage was not a trying problem or a desire problem because I desired to be a good husband. I wanted to be a good husband. I didn't want to 
cause her to cry and cringe when I came home. I wanted to be a good husband. Uh, so it wasn't that problem. The problem I figured out was, was a worship problem. It was a worship problem. And that day when I got on, on my knees and I prayed, I said, God, you've got to take this anger from me. You've got to take it because if not, I'm going to lose everything. And he, he didn't initially. But what began to happen is I stopped trying. I stopped trying to be better. And I would release it to God. And what happened over time is God was taking it away from me. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, 10 years later, she tells me that I'm almost too mellow. Uh, <laughs> I'm too laid back. Okay, I'll take the too mellow over yeah. the other. <laughs> um, but it was so incredible because I tried and tried and tried and I desired and desired and desired, desired so much that and, and I failed every single time. But when I started turning it over to God and releasing it to him, God began to work. And he began to take the anger away. He took the anger away. Uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 25 is so telling of this idea. It says, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of, of eternal praise. Amen. And uh, I was worshiping myself. I was selfish. I wanted it my way. And I was the idol in our marriage. And you probably could say the same thing. She was the idol in our marriage also to yeah. herself. Um, I had high expectations of um, who he should be and what he should be. And um, when he didn't meet that expectation that I had of who and what he should be. Um, obviously, I didn't confront because I've already discussed that um, I don't do confrontation, you know, and I just sweep it under the rug. But that, that creates a bitterness within that I don't discuss. And even though I don't discuss it, it's, it's still that wall there that's there. And um, I can remember one day he looking at me, and we were discussing something, and... Um, about the past and stuff, and um, I somehow brought something up, and he just looked at me, and he said, when are you really going to forgive me? You know, it's said, and it's done, and I've said, I'm sorry, you know, I'm trying, we're working this out kind of thing, when are you really going to forgive me? And I, you know, immediately, I got defensive and thought, I have forgiven you, you know, I'm still here, and I'm still, <laughs> you know, doing what I'm supposed to be doing, um, but then um, God I read Hosea, and if you've ever written, uh, read Hosea, you know exactly um, what, what it's all about. But if you haven't, go read today. It's awesome. It's a picture um, of what Christ does for us, but it's through that marriage. If he asks Hosea to, to marry a prostitute, and he has to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. And I thought, oh, my goodness. God, you do this for me every day, and I really haven't done that for my spouse. And if we're going to be a picture of, of what the relationship is like between church and Christ, then I have to do this. I have to learn how to forgive. I have to, um, 
you know, with God's help. And God opened that. And it was just me not wanting to release it. It was me being selfish of, I don't want to release this because then I, then I have to give everything over um, to Christ. But that was, I can, I can remember still where I was sitting um, when I read um, that passage of scripture and just how it kind of hit me as a ton of bricks. Um, and it wasn't something that I overcame. It was God placing that within me that if, if God can forgive me every day, then why can't I? All right. well, there, there's a lot more. Um, it, and the thing, it, it's been so many opportunities for this to happen. And it's amazing because I think because of so much baggage from, from that I heard, you know, that came from my life, that we were doomed from the beginning. But thank goodness that God looked at a marriage and said, no, you're not. I can work this out, and I can make you stronger for it. Um, let's do this. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes uh, this morning, and go ahead and stand to your feet. Uh, I don't know where you are in your relationship. You may be a teenager, and you're years away. You're years away from, from being married, but you realize that you've got baggage, and Christ needs to begin to take that away from you right now. Uh, if Christ can get victory over your baggage right now, I promise you your spouse will be so much better for it. Um, you may be in a marriage right now that is, that, is, that is good, that is perfect, seemingly. But the thing is, the little foxes, the little bits of baggage can sneak in. And maybe you just need to draw, draw closer together and stronger in your marriage. Um, you may be sitting in here and your marriage is crumbling um, I offer you hope because Christ offers us hope. And through Christ, he can restore. He can restore anything that's happened. Um, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for what you've done in our life. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. And Lord, I pray that you just help us to respond to your, your heart, to respond to your word. And, and uh, please help us to allow you to restore us. Lord, there may be some people in here that, that are divorced. Lord, there's some healing that needs to take place in their life. There's some forgiveness that needs to take place in their life. Lord, there's some that, that may never even get married in here. Lord, I, I pray that you'd help them in dealing with their parents and their friends. And Lord, I pray that you'd give them a burden and a heart for them today. And Lord, I pray for our teens and our young adults, God, that you would just... Right now, before they enter into that, that bond, when they think that it will be so much better after that day, Lord, it's baggage. And Lord, I pray that you would begin to strip that from them in their life. In Jesus' name I pray.